Welcome to Radar Contact, the air traffic management podcast by Fox ATM. Welcome to the second season of Radar Contact. We are starting our second year of podcasting on air traffic management. And to open that season, uh, we have a guest from Eurocontrol. This is Stephen Moore, who is head of ATM Network Operations. Stephen, welcome to Radar Contact. Thank you. Before we go deep into what Eurocontrol and the network manager is doing, can you please uh, introduce yourself rapidly so we know where you are coming from and what your background is? Certainly. Thanks, Vincent. Um, it's a great pleasure to be here. Um, as you say, my name is Stephen Moore, and I'm head of the ATM Operations Network Management um, Division at Eurocontrol. Uh, that in itself covers uh, four broad areas. Um, the Network Management Operations Center and Associated Services, uh, which I'm sure we'll talk about uh, in due course. Um, airports within the network from the Eurocontrol perspective, really connecting in the airports into the uh, network management. Um, it also covers business continuity. So um, I chair the uh, well, Eurocontrol co-chairs with the European Commission, the European Aviation Crisis Coordination Cell, uh, for which uh, my role is the um, uh, operations manager of that. Um, and clearly through the COVID crisis, but also through volcanic um, uh, exercises and through other crises, the airport attack in Brussels, um, that cell has been activated in the past. Um, it is currently deactivated with regard to COVID, but it has been active for quite some time. Um, and I also cover the business continuity, um, which is around the resilience of the operational area as well. Um, and then we also do um, testing um, and post operations analysis within my division. So a, a real broad remit, um, very exciting and very interesting for certain. With regard to my background, I spent um, uh, 24 years working for the uh, United Kingdom ANSP Nats, which I left um, at the end of March 2020. I started um, with Nats as an air traffic controller or a trainee and became a qualified uh, TMA controller in London uh, for many years um, and ended up uh, through various roles as um, the uh, one of the deputy general managers at the main air traffic centre in uh, the UK in Swanwick. Um, so it's been quite a journey and quite an experience moving to Eurocontrol at the very first lockdown in 2020. Um, so I've uh, had an interesting journey, uh, both physically and um, psychologically, if you like. And I was at least able after my first year at Eurocontrol to claim the largest decrease in ATFM delay uh, by a head of operations, even if it was uh, absolutely nothing to do with me. So thank you, Stephen, for the, the deep introduction. If you had to pick at a very high level the main roles and activities of the network manager in terms of ATM, what would be your... Your, your pick. So um, I think it's uh, probably four or five areas to uh, just explain uh, very broadly what the uh, Eurocontrol network manager does. Um, Eurocontrol itself um, and the activities cover the 41 member states and two associated member states of the uh, Eurocontrol um, body. Um, so far more than just the EU 27 nations. And um, Eurocontrol discharges its activities from four different locations. The headquarters in Brussels, which also includes the majority of the stuff, but by no means all, um, as well as the Network Management Operations Centre, um, the Luxembourg um, Institute, which is just being rebranded as the European Aviation Learning Centre, Brittini, um, which was known uh, up until very recently as the uh, uh, Experimental Centre, if I recall correctly, is now known as the Innovation Hub, the Eurocontrol Innovation Hub, and the ANSP Maastricht, based out of Maastricht, um, which is uh, governed 
under the Euro Control Agency, but as part of the four states in whose airspace it acts, if you like. And so those are the activities uh, where from where we carry out the activities. As a very high level, Eurocontrol covers the uh, CRCO, the Central Route Charges Office, which is central billing for the whole of European uh, aviation, normally covering pre-COVID in excess of 10 billion worth of euros per annum uh, in charges through to the airlines and uh, back to the ANSPs and so on. Um, In a normal non-COVID year, we were in 2019 in excess of 11 million flights through the network in a year. We have, as part of Eurocontrol, the Maastricht uh, Air Traffic Centre with the Aviation Learning Centre, the Innovation Hub I've already referred to. Uh, We act as the appointed ATM expert body to the European Commission. And as I said, I think we cover more than just the 27 member states of the EU, which um, is really interesting when it comes to things such as uh, crises with Belarus, space debris, Brexit, all these wonderful subjects um, that we could get into because Eurocontrol is wider than just the EU. It does bring us into contact with many interesting and varied subjects. You dropped the the COVID word a couple of times already. I mean, the whole industry is is being impacted by that. And I guess it had a lot of impact on the the network and the network manager as well. One of the things we noticed is that a lot of restrictions, a lot of routes that were not available or available only at certain time or or moments of the year were now removed. And so to speak, the European network of routes has become much more simple because of the lower traffic levels. Do you think this will be a big opportunity to reconsider those restrictions when traffic grows up again? Or do we sometime will come back to the network as it was before COVID? There's many answers to that question. In simple terms, this year we have been working with uh, ANSP partners in the network to trial uh, a use of the RAD restrictions, the restrictions you refer to, in a um, facilitated manner, by which I mean rather than them being structural and existing 24 hours a day, in some cases, as traffic has started to increase this year, we've managed to uh, coordinate and work collaboratively with ANSPs to introduce them in a much more agile fashion, i.e. for three or four hours in a, in a period, rather than just have them there as a structural restriction. More widely, the question probably also deserves the honest answer of, were traffic to return immediately to pre-COVID levels, the capacity just isn't in the network in certain points. Notwithstanding any industrial action, notwithstanding any um, technological developments that are on the horizon, the structural capacity in the network just does not meet the demand in, in certain corridors. And some of that is down to restrictions caused by RAD. Mostly it's caused by the airspace structure that we have in Europe. And whenever I refer to Europe, uh, please do consider I refer wider than just the EU27. Um, so I think there's, there's a really extensive answer that could be given. This summer just gone, we um, uh, instigated with our NSP partners, in some cases, trial reintroduction for a temporary periods, the RAD restrictions. So instead of being there uh, permanently, almost structurally, some were reintroduced um, and were activated and deactivated, um, which made a significant difference. So when they were required, they were used and structurally you could not fly uh, other than in compliance. And other times they just remained uh, out of use, which meant that routes which hitherto hadn't existed were able to be planned again. Uh, that was very successful and, of course, really supports the sustainability arguments um, for making aviation far more sustainable as we recover from the COVID um, events. Talking about route structure, there is another initiative that is growing up and we see more and more. It's uh, free route airspace. Does free route airspace implementations in, in many member states affect DNM or are you more supporting it? 
Are you welcoming it or how do you cope with pre-route coming? Very much supporting it, very much not just supporting it in terms of uh, hip hip array, but supporting it um, with technical expertise, um, supporting it tactically, pre-tactically as well as strategically, uh, very much in favour of the airspace uh, changes. Um, and we've just seen recently the massive opening in the uh, in the Scottish skies almost, um, although it does extend a little wider of free route airspace there. So very much involved and very much in support of it. In terms of the next steps with that, um, I think there's a whole programme um, to be uh, developed that allows um, free route airspace to go cross-border. And in some cases, there are already uh, advanced talks with that um, with various ANSPs. It sort of brings us on to the more thorny issues, I think, of the airspace structure in Europe as a whole, where, of course, strategically, we would like to be able to see much more wide use of free route airspace across borders rather than point to point through borders. However, what we're seeing now is certainly a step in the uh, in the right direction. You mentioned also sustainability and free route plays a role there for sure. Another kind of initiative that is going in the green direction is the whole work on continuous climb and continuous descent that many NSPs and airports are trying to implement now. Is that something that impacts the network manager as well or is that too local and too micro for, for your scale? It's a very good question. When you multiply up every continuous climb and every continuous descent and the effects it has on uh, the sort of trajectory of a flight, then yes, it becomes very much relevant from the network management perspective on a tactical basis. But generally speaking, an individual flight, no, it's not particularly relevant in a tactical basis. Um, so it's more of a strategical uh, basis for the planning. And as we get down into more advanced systems and trajectory management, then clearly continuous climb, continuous descent, target time over, and so on and so forth become really, really important, not just for the efficient managing of the network, but also for that sustainability um, piece where these things make, when they're accumulated up, a significant difference to the uh, effects on the environment from aviation. You are talking about new changes and initiative, and I guess you are in part referring to the, the INM project, which has now been awarded. It has been a long call for tender period, and now it's it started. And I guess this will be a lot of changes for you. So can you give us an update on what INM is and where you stand with it at this stage, please? Thanks, Vincent. So in very simple terms, although it's not a simple thing by any stretch of the imagination, INM, the Integrated Network Manager, um, is part of the digital transformation of Eurocontrol, uh, of which the network manager is part. It basically means, although it's far more complex, as you would appreciate, replacing the network management tools and systems that have been built over the last 25 plus years. If you consider the way that the network is managed in Europe is based on concepts from at least 30 years ago, primarily, of course, they've been adapted, of course, they've been improved, uh, improved, sorry, but over a long period of time, um, it has been developed almost in a spaghetti fashion, both the way in which the network flows, as well as the airspace, as well as the software and the tools. So INM is primarily, but not exclusively, the digital transformation of our tool set. Now, our tool set does not just exist in our own uh, operations center at Brussels, the NMOC, but it exists in many ANSPs through the use of tools such as CHMI, uh, CASA delay monitors, and so on and so forth, as well as in the sharing of B2B ATM data. INM replaces all of it. In terms of where we are, as you rightly said in the introduction, we are um, just closed on the call for tender period. We've selected the partners for the building of the software and the maintenance of the software. So there are two different uh, lots there. And we are just finalizing in the next week uh, the process of 
what the roadmap of the rollout of the software is going to look like. And as you can imagine, with all the spaghetti systems, it's a significant piece of work just to define the roadmap. And it is important that that roadmap was defined in partnership with the successful bidders to the process. Um, because although Eurocontrol has a great deal of expertise in many areas, building software, the modern age is perhaps not one of the, the ones highest on our list. And if you're going to pay a company millions of euros to develop your systems, uh, you'd better off start listening to them rather than just telling them what you want straight away and expecting it to be right. So it's a very collaborative approach. In addition, I'm very excited to say, um, if people don't know, that we also have work ongoing um, outside uh, my office in Brussels, as it happens, to build a brand new state-of-the-art operations centre for the network manager. And that's to replace our existing ops room, which is um, 30 years old, just under, built from converted offices and a garden, would you believe, um, into the purpose-built facility um, that people will be able to find linked through the Eurocontrol website and no doubt on social media. Um, it's very exciting. It will enable us to uh, tactically and pre-tactically with some strategy uh, elements in there as well, manage the network uh, for the next 30 plus years in a new state-of-the-art facility. Um, so that's really exciting. Um, the programme itself, the INM programme, not the building work now, um, is a nine-year programme. So we're expecting to see um, the final elements of it rolling out in 2030. Um, some elements will be rolled out without any influence or interference with the ANSPs and the airlines. So it should be entirely transparent. And those will be some of the first deliverables so we might be celebrating um, rolling out successfully the deliverable one, if you like, and yet everyone will be looking going, we see no change. That's because we've got so much work to do with legacy systems to bring them onto a digital platform in a new way where we can then add enhancements to the facilities, um, the software facilities, the, in, uh, the abilities of trajectory management and so on and so forth once we've got the baseline in place. So it's terribly exciting, um, terribly complicated, terribly expensive um, and desperately needed well i guess if it's uh, as you say terribly expensive i understand the first step will be transparent to the users ansps and airlines mm -hmm. but in the next nine years what will be the benefits from them once you have that first step done what will you build on that new platform that will benefit ansps um, and airlines and in the end the passengers absolutely so um we have to have a more agile way of managing the network utilizing more of the uh, almost up-to-date applications that you can find in um, our normal lives by which i mean your iphone or your android device. Um, if you want to find something out, you can find something out very quickly. If you want to add a new application onto your device, you can do so quickly. If you go back to my, the answer to my previous question, um, we're running legacy software where um, it's very difficult to do anything in that sort of agile way. Now, clearly, I'm not talking about adding apps onto, uh, onto our devices um, from the network perspective, but I am talking about making it much more user-friendly from the B2B perspective, making it user-friendly from the front-end perspective for people that share the tools that we have um, and that we use making the management of the flows of traffic much more um, agile, bringing on new concepts such as 4G trajectory management, um, FFICE, and so on and so forth um, that are in the plan and part of the uh, network ops plans for the coming uh, five and 10 years. So the benefits will be many, most of them, but not all of them will lead to reductions in delay, increases in capacity, more agile use of the airspace, um, and we'll see uh, very much um, uh, sustainability improvements. But just changing a system doesn't bring all of that. Um, a lot of it has to be delivered through collaborative decision-making and um, collaborative strategic planning. So right now, for example, an airline um, will take a decision on a route 
based entirely on the cost. So is it going to cost more to go left or more to go right on a particular route choice? Everyone listening will know that. Uh, sometimes the margins airlines choose can be as low as 10 euros in choosing a different route, but that sometimes ignores the environmental profile of the flight, the sustainability of the flight. When we then scale that up and look at delays in the network through capacity pinch points, very much ANSPs, because of the way that they are regulated um, and uh, their performance is targeted with, try their best to reduce delays. Reduced delays can sometimes lead to an increase of scaled up over many flights, thousands of nautical miles of extra flying, which clearly is not good for the uh, sustainability of aviation. So a lot of the new tools and systems will enable us to make different choices far more effectively. Do we take delay? Do we take the most sustainable option? Do we take a slightly more expensive option to enable the sustainability? Or do we take a cheaper option, which goes against sustainability? All these things we're working really hard on to make sure that the systems are able to cope. It looks like you have a lot on your plate with the, the classical airspace users. And for the next minute, I'd like to look at what we call the newcomers now. And, and this is in two parts. I mean, we have low-level newcomers and the whole drone stuff. And I guess you will have to, to manage them or to deal with them in some ways. But we also have the newcomers at very high level. So all the people targeting low orbit and space, we will see much more. And I guess this will also have impact on the network manager, right? Everything that you've just mentioned is uh, uh, absolutely true. If um, we take the first element around low-level um, newcomers, actually physically, altitude-wise, the low-level, the drones... Strategically, there's many actors involved there right now, Eurocontrol as a whole, not just the network manager, uh, working very closely with the EASA on defining the new rules of the air, if you like, where conventional and new, new entrants exist, coexist together rather than segregate them. It seems to be the most logical way forward to come up with a plan that enables the safe coexistence of drones and manned flight, if you like, and working closely with the ASA there to make sure that um, we can safely and securely and efficiently introduce U-space, universal space, looking uh, into drones operating in the urban airspace, perhaps from as early as 2025 onwards. Now, that's very challenging. Would I be able to say hand on heart that would be fully integrated? Probably not. It will probably start, ironically, with a bit of segregation. But at some point, if we start our planning now to fully integrated and coexisting, then as we progress on the path towards the final rollouts for that, um, we will take very measured steps across the network to do integration via a segregated route to proof of concept and so on, so that you ultimately end up with the ability to safely integrate unmanned air taxis uh, all the way down to um, parcel medical delivery drones that need access to and from and through airspace where manned flight is taking place. Thank you for giving the view on the physical low-level newcomers or the drones. What about the people targeting lower orbit and space now? Thank you. Really, really, really exciting um, period of aviation uh, and the network um, with regard to space, uh, as if U space for the, the lower level integration isn't exciting enough. Um, we saw in 2021 um, space flight for William Shatner, I think is a name everyone can uh, uh, recognize, uh, Jeff Bezos, uh, Richard Branson and others, um, depending on whether you agree they went into space or not. The integration of such aircraft into the network as a whole is critical. Now, the launches we've seen, the public ones, the Elon Musk, et cetera, et cetera, they're, they're happening in, in the States and other places where there's a great deal of space, um, physical space, I mean, as opposed to space space. And aviation can coexist simply by being in a different place. In Europe, we don't have that. We have a very complicated network and we have to be able to integrate 
items that are going up through the aviation network to higher altitudes, items that are planned to be coming down through the same bit of space, airspace, and items that do come down that aren't planned to come down. So there's a whole uh, gambit, if you like, of uh, areas where Eurocontrol Network Manager and Eurocontrol as a whole is really interested uh, and keen to be driving the agenda, I think it's fair to say, with regard to space. The area I'm not convinced about is um, what's sometimes called space traffic management. That's the separation of uh, items within space. Normally, that's the preserve of militaries um, or space companies. But everything else in terms of what's going up, what's coming down, what's not planned to come down, the crisis um, uh, contingency processes around that, and the safe integration of all of these things with the existing network uh, are clearly areas of uh, exceptional interest for Eurocontrol and the network manager. I can foresee in the future having a form of a space position within our um, uh, operations centre where we're involved in the planning of launches throughout Europe, involved in the planning of re-entries coming in and in the crisis monitoring of re-entries uh, that aren't planned or that go uh, awry through re-entry. Space traffic controllers, that sounds like, like a nice title, even if it's just for the, the coordination, as you mentioned, and not in space itself. So I guess that was quite a good uh, look around everything what's happening at, at NM in terms of ATM. And to close, I'd like to ask you our, our signature question. What changes can you foresee in ATM and at Network Manager for the next five years, but also for the next 50 years to make the exercise a bit more interesting? So for the five years, I think it's um, more straightforward than perhaps the 50 years. And I think I'll be a bit challenging on the 50 years, if I may. But on the five years, um, we've got um, three main areas to my mind. First and foremost, um, uh, a recovery again from COVID. 2021 saw us peaking at 83% of the traffic in the network uh, versus 2019 traffic. Um, now, bear in mind that's aircraft movements, um, IFR aircraft movements, it does not count for passenger load factors. And in some sectors, we've seen business aviation, for example, and cargo exit 2021 in a position higher than they were in 2019. Some of it logical, some of it um, less so, perhaps. Um, we're just seeing at the turn of the year now, uh, reintroduction of uh, restrictions for travel, and we don't yet know how that will affect the next couple of months. But in the five-year timeframe, it's clear that um, COVID will slowly go behind us and either will become something that we live with or will become something even more distant than that. As we start to live with it, uh, like perhaps flu, um, we will then see travel returning to pre-pandemic levels. So we have the, the, the COVID recovery to deal with. Um, and this year, just as an aside, it's been really exciting to see some operators be able to return very close or on some days in excess of their 2019 uh, comparable traffic in under a week. Some of the low cost airlines were able to return to pre-pandemic levels in just under 10 days. Um, it's a real significant jump from perhaps 400 movements in the network a day to over 2000 movements uh, in under, uh, as I say, about 10 days. So we've got the recovery to deal with in the next five years. We've got the replacement of our systems to deal with in the next five years. The INM program we've spoken about, the move to the new operation. Um, we've also got the sustainability angle to really grasp hold of and make 
changes in how we review performance in the network and how we make decisions in the network. And then I think we've got um, part of the the, the uh, operational excellence plans to start delivering in the next five years, covering areas such as uh, ATS procedures, advanced flexible use of airspace, um, improvements in how we do ATFCM, uh, flight planning evolutions, FFIs, enhancement through sector throughputs, airport improvements, sustainability at airports, um, system interoperability. There's lots of things coming in the next five years that Eurocontrol Network Manager is working very closely with the stakeholders. In terms of the next 50 years, I think that I like to answer that sort of question by skipping forward 50 years and going, what will the network be like in 50 years? Only then do I believe you can have a conversation that doesn't get very um, difficult. Why do I say that? Well, in 50 years, if we still have a network that operates with the current restrictions as we have today, uh, we will have failed. And if you have the conversation around what the 50 years will look like based on today's setup, um, we're never going to progress in the way we need to. And so rather than dancing around, in 50 years' time, I do not see air traffic control um, as a requirement in the network. Um, I see um, far more automation. But when we talk 50 years hence, we must remember that we're not talking about anyone who is currently working in the system. We're not talking about destroying people's livelihoods or jobs. We're having a uh, not a hypothetical, but certainly a challenging conversation around what is the best for aviation in 2071. 2072. For me, that does not, and I speak as an air traffic controller, include air traffic control. Aircraft can get airborne today from one airport and fly to another airport and land safely without any interaction of air traffic, assuming there's no other traffic around. Now, there will be other traffic around, therefore the aircraft will have to separate themselves. Currently, that's a safety barrier rather than a dedicated separation service, so that would have to change. But if you can imagine uh, an airspace structure that is almost entirely free route from ground to ground, and you can imagine a structure where the flows of traffic are managed based on the actual trajectory rather than just the planned trajectory, where air traffic control if it exists, exists as a monitoring service. But if it doesn't exist, there is no impediment to the flight going from, uh, let's go Frankfurt to Miami as an example. Getting airborne from Frankfurt, turning towards a PBN arrival starting position at Miami with a particular time of arrival, target time over the fix, um, and flying there in the most efficient way it needs to. That could be joining up with other aircraft. It was exciting to see this year fellow fly being trialed by Airbus across the Atlantic, um, where aircraft in effect uh, mimic what um, uh, the migratory birds do and fly um, off center to one another, picking up the advantages of the uh, reduced wake um, from the aircraft in front, um, all the way through to um, uh, separating themselves um, and uh, flying the most optimal route for the cost and the environment. Um, and we would also, by 2050, have um, uh, aircraft that are far more sustainable, possibly even carbon neutral themselves rather than carbon offsetting. I think if you can start the conversation from what's our wish list for 27, then you can start working a pathway backwards to how you need to work over the next 50 years to get to that. It's very, very difficult conversation to have because it affects so many positions, jobs, livelihoods, uh, interests in the current area, not just in terms of people and their jobs, but in terms of nations, the military, space, and so on. Um, I think, um, you know, if I were to be living in 2070 uh, and beyond, which is exceptionally unlikely, it would look significantly different. 
that's quite a vision. Very interesting. A lot of points into that. I would just like to point out those are my personal opinions um, and thoughts rather than any official Eurocontrol statement for the record. Noted. Um, <laughs> it's, it's very interesting to hear from someone who has been an air traffic controller himself that this job could change so much in the in the future and to see uh, that openness towards the kind of changing we could have. So, Stephen, thanks a lot for being our guest today. It has been a pleasure. Thank you for the conversation this afternoon. I've uh, enjoyed it greatly. This was Radar Contact. Visit foxatm.com or your favorite podcast platform for more.